Hey, this is Milton Suggs, vocalist and composer. You're listening to Chris Davis on the Behind the Note podcast. You're listening to Behind the Note podcast, brought to you by a musician for musicians. Here, you will get advice toward a successful music career. This show is made to educate, inspire, motivate, and empower. Now, here is your host, Chris Davis. Hello, so glad that you decided to join us today. This is episode number 40. Thank you for pressing play. This episode is dedicated to the musician that has a teaching studio or desires to have a teaching studio. If you know somebody that fits that description, please, right now, share this episode with them. We're going to talk about some real important things. Today, we're going to talk about the importance of timing when you have a prospective student. Sometimes they're going to say no. What does that mean? We're going to talk about how to have a payment structure set up so that you'll get paid even when you're on vacation. And we'll also talk about the importance of the number 32 when it comes to building practice habits for your students. These topics and many others. But first, let me introduce today's guest to you. We have somebody today that's committed to helping musicians become better business people. So she teaches how to pump up your business, pump up in the sense of running your business smoothly. So I'm really happy to introduce to you today the author of Mind Your Own Business, music teacher, Mrs. Shanta Hedgemati. Thank you so much for joining us, Shanta. We're glad to have you. You bet. I'm glad to be here. So one thing that I learned about you is that you have a background in human resources. Is that true? Yes, that's true. I worked for 10 years for the Nature Conservancy, and most of that time I was in human resources. I did all kinds of things from compensation planning to affirmative action planning to managing performance appraisals, all kinds of crazy HR stuff. So how did you get out of that business and and why did you get out of that business? That is a really excellent question because I actually enjoyed my job a lot. Um, It would actually came down to my family. I wanted to have more time with my family. And I found out when I had a child that I just plain old did not have 40 hours a week of my child's waking hours to spend at work. And so I started looking for ways that I could not spend 40 hours a week at work. Um, And so that was when I actually started teaching piano. And it was a kind of a long process for me where I first I was working full time and teaching part time. And then I eventually was able to work part-time and teach part-time, and then eventually I quit my day job, and now I'm just teaching. Um, So it it took me probably two and a half years to fully make that transition, but it's been so worth it. And what I found is that the skills that I gained from spending so much time in the business world and working in human resources really gave me a lot of skills that I needed to run my own business and that I have really, really used. Um, And I don't know how I would have done this if I hadn't had that experience. Okay, so I'm going to get there in a few moments and I'm going to go back a little bit. And I want to know, uh, what was your history with music? What did you used to do with music before Human Resources? I went to Lawrence University in Appleton, Wisconsin, and I was going to do a double degree in voice performance and biology. I had passed my upper level jury. I was ready to go. And I realized that with a lab science and a performance degree, it would take me six years to graduate with those two degrees. And I decided that I did not want to be an undergrad for six years. And so I had to give something up. And I chose to give up the music right after I passed my upper level jury. 
Um, because I, and the reason that I gave up the music rather than the biology was because I thought it was more lucrative. I thought that I'd be able to get a better job with a degree in biology. And here I am back teaching music. Now, I think that's a very valuable lesson right there is that you ended up teaching music in the end. And I was going to ask, why did you do the double major in the first place? I did the double major because I am one of those people that I want to know everything and I want to do everything. And I'm really good at overcommitting myself. I, I, I love biology and I love ecology and I love music and I couldn't imagine my life without music. And so I, I went to a, a college fair and they said, oh, you can do both. And I went, oh, really? I can do both? That's fantastic. I can do both. Um, as it turns out, it's a little more complicated to do both than I originally thought. But, you know, the other reason that I dropped the music major instead of the biology major was because I just said to myself, you know, I don't need a line, an extra line on my diploma to be a musician. And I, I still kept taking my voice lessons and I still perform and everything. And I mean, I'm, I can be a musician without having a degree in music. Let's, let's stay here for a moment because this topic comes up often uh, when I'm talking to young musicians. And I personally, <laughs> this, is, this is actually one of my regrets uh, that I went to school and I left with a performance degree. And as you're saying, that was not really necessary because after you're graduating, you're still going to perform with or without that degree. I always tell people, and I think you might agree, well, I tell people to pursue their passion, whatever that is, because I found that things work out for you in, in your favor in that way. Is that is that true? Do you Have you found that to be true? Yeah, you know, I think I have. Although I have to say, um, I probably have more passion for performing than I do for teaching. But, you know, performing is a pretty challenging lifestyle. Um, and I think that that's something that while I might have the passion for it, I don't think I have the temperament for it. And oh, that's very good. You know what I mean? It's important to know that about yourself. And, and I ha it took me a while to learn that about myself. That's very good. Oh, I'm loving this conversation because now we're talking about getting to know yourself. And that's important, too. But we yeah. won't go there because I'm getting a little off topic. But this is this is good stuff. All right. So. Let's go back to the human resources experience yeah. and, and how you use that in your, in your business now. Yeah, well, when I was in human resources, I did a lot of work with spreadsheets. And so and I'm, talking, I'm not talking like you enter a few things and you're using Excel as a glorified calculator. I'm talking about like massive, massive amounts of data that I was crunching. And so I learned a lot about Excel through that. And I learned how to make it do all kinds of really neat things. And I would never purport to be an Excel expert because, oh, my gosh, there are so many things it does that I still don't know how to do. However, I do use a lot of things like I use it. I do use it as a glorified calculator. I use it to keep track of my students. And one of the things that I have to report back to my organization, I'm a Simply Music teacher. And so every month I report back like my student numbers, basically. And there's some uh, demographic metrics that I have to report back. And once I set up a pivot table in Excel for that, it was just a snap to do that. It took me three minutes. Um, I use it for things like tracking deductions for deductions of, of personal expenses that I can deduct where, say, for instance, my house, I teach out of my home. And so my accountant lets me deduct three and a half percent of everything related to my home because that's the square footage of the teaching space. 
And so I have an Excel spreadsheet set up and I enter the electric bill and I enter the mortgage and I enter the gas bill and I enter the water bill and everything pops up three and a half percent. This is how much you can deduct. And then I reimburse myself for that amount. And it's it's very easy once you get it set up. But probably probably the skills with that is one. But also, I think I think another thing that I really gained from that experience in human resources was that business acumen of what it is to be professional and what it is to what it is to have a real feel for customer service and you know to deal with people professionally even when they're ticking you off a little bit oh, um, first of all what is simply music simply music is a music education institution and they have programs for piano teaching, programs for accordion teaching. They also have learn at home programs for students. They have programs for uh, students with disabilities that they're working on. It's a really different way of learning, which is what attracted me to it. It's a program where you learn to play before you learn to read. Think of it more like um, think of it more like a, a curriculum. And so basically when you be, when you become a simply music teacher, then you get the Simply Music teacher training and you have to pay your licensing fees back. Um, they're actually in the process of going totally digital right now um, and reducing the cost of becoming a teacher by a lot, which is just really cool. And all the for all new teachers, all the materials are online. Think of it as a curriculum, but it's a curriculum that you can run your studio any way you want to. If you're teaching in a school, great. If you're teaching private lessons, great. If you're teaching out of a rented studio, great. If you're teaching out of your living room, great. You run your studio how you want to run it. You charge what you want to charge. And you're using the Simply Music curriculum for teaching. And one of the things I love about it is how well it translates into groups. That's the only way I can teach 30 students in three days is I teach in groups. How many days a week are you teaching? I teach three days a week. I teach three day, I teach Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and I have right now I've got about twenty five students, but usually I'm I usually am around thirty. I do it three days a week right in a row because it takes time to run the business. And so Wednesday I have choir, so Wednesday's kind of my business and choir day. And then Thursdays, if I need need to do business, I can do business on Thursdays. But really Kind of Thursday, Friday, Saturday is my weekend, and sometimes it's Thursday, Friday, and sometimes it's Friday, Saturday. But that's um, I just have a slightly different weekend. But it took me a long time to get there. I mean, I was I had a worse schedule, and really only and only recently I was switched all of my Thursday people to Tuesdays, and that made my life so much better because having them all compressed into three days means that I actually get a weekend. I come to learn of you from reading one of your blog posts, uh, which was posted on musicianwages.com. And when I read it, I loved it immediately because I, I could tell that we were on the same wavelength, almost the same person, if that's possible. <laughs> so I, I, I personally haven't met too many musicians that that think like we do. And I wanted to talk to you about some things and yeah. and hopefully introduce new concepts or if they're not new concepts, I want people to become bold enough to to put these concepts into action. Mm-hmm. So now, first of all, you have a you have a website, you have a blog. What's the name of it? I do. My website is um, minding your own business and the web address is M.Y.O.B. Music Teacher. 
And at this point, it's mostly a blog. That's what the bulk of the content is right now. But I'm also in the process of putting together an online self-paced course that, teacher, that music teachers can take. And really, I'm committed to helping music teachers be better business people. Oh, that's great. We need that very much, especially because many music teachers are self-employed. So, and and where do we learn how to have our own business? You don't. (laughs) Exactly. They don't teach you accounting 101 in music school. (laughs) So this is very good. So I'm going to just open up the floor to you. Uh, What are some pointers that you think might be like the most important for music teachers to understand? I have a few. I would say at the the very, very, very baseline, number one is you got to charge enough for your time. And when I say you charge enough for your time, what I mean is you have to charge enough that you're making a living wage for yourself after taxes and expenses. And figuring into that all of the non-billable time that you spend preparing for lessons, you need to figure that in when you're deciding what to charge for your time. Charging enough for your time, I think, is the biggest. Um, From the business side of it, I think that a big, big, really important thing is having separate accounts for your business. It seems silly and stupid. It seems simple. But you've got to have a separate bank account for your business, even if it's just a personal account that you're using to funnel all of your business income and expenses through, because that way you can not only be sure that you're not deducting anything that you shouldn't deduct, but that you are deducting everything that you can deduct, and it's all in one place. And then if you get audited, you are protected because it's all right there in one place. There's another one that has many facets to it, and that is taking care of yourself. And this is a big kind of many-fingered sort of thing where one piece, I believe, of taking good care of yourself is charging enough for your time. One piece of taking care of yourself, I believe, is not making up lessons when students miss them. Another part of taking care of yourself is making sure that you have vacation time scheduled into your schedule and that you have your payment structure set up so that you keep getting paid even when you're on vacation. So there's lots of different things that go into it, but it's really, if if running your own business and being an independent music teacher is something that you really want to do and that you have that passion for, you have got to take care of yourself or you will burn out and you'll want to give up. These are some great tips. Let's Let's get into this a little bit. How do we decide what we should charge? How do we know what a good number is that's fair to us and fair to our students? That is a great question, and it's complicated. It's a, it's um, you know, you can't just open a black box and pull it out. I wish you could. I think that when anytime you're going about deciding what you could what you should charge, you need to know a few things. One of the things you really need to know is roughly what are you going to pay in taxes and overestimate a little bit. When I figure out how much I'm making, I figure it's 36% for taxes. Uh, I'm in a state that's relatively high tax, but you know, if you use 36% and you're in the U.S., you're probably pretty safe because I'm in one of the highest tax states that there is. You also need to know what the prevailing rate is in your, in your community. Not that you're going to charge that rate, but you want to know what it is. So, for instance, when I was starting to teach, I could see that in my area, kind of the general rate for private lessons in the home or, you know, in in somebody else's home in a, you know, home-based music studio 
was about $25, $20, $25 a lesson for a half-hour lesson. And then there's this um, gigantic music school that they're charging almost $35 a lesson. And I'm thinking to myself, well, why can't I charge $35 a lesson? I'm a good teacher. I bet that the music teachers that that school is paying are not getting even half of that $35 a lesson fee. And that's the frustrating thing. But you got to remember this, too. When you're working for yourself, you're probably pocketing about half of what your lesson fee is. I have in the class that I'm putting together, I have a a tool that we're going to use. And if you join my mailing list, you actually get the tool, you get the worksheet to figure it out. But in the class, I actually walk you through it because it's kind of complicated to figure out exactly how much you're bringing in. Uh, The simplest way you you can figure this out, what you're bringing in if you're already teaching, is get out your last tax return and figure out your profit and your loss from your Schedule C. And that will tell you what your profit margin is, roughly. And so then you can say, okay, my profit margin is about 33%. So that means if I'm charging $30 for a lesson, I'm actually making $10 for that lesson. And I have to tell you that a 33% profit margin is actually pretty good. Now, those are some really good tips. I appreciate that. So you just gave us some tips on on the practical, which is very good. We need that. Now I want to touch on uh, maybe a little more abstract, and, and it has to do with mindset. What should we take into consideration when we're just simply talking about mindset? Well, I know that there's a lot of teachers out there, especially when you're first starting out, you think, oh, I can't charge as much as that teacher down the street because I'm not as experienced. Or I need to charge less so that I'm competitive, so that I get more students. Uh, And that's really, you might think that, but that's not actually how it works. When you charge more for your time, people think you are worth more. Hold on. Say that one more time. (laughs) When you charge more for your time, people will think you are worth more. That's that's the truth. It is the truth. And so if you know that you're a great teacher, you should be charging premium rates for your lessons. If if your average teacher in your community is charging 25 bucks a lesson, start with 35 and see what happens. It's much easier to lower your rates than it is to raise them. Not not that I would ever um, encourage anyone to lower their rates. This is what I've learned about about pricing. Uh, first of all, I, I was taught. I don't know if this is correct or not, but this is what I was taught. When you when you pick a price or however you come to your price, you should probably double that number. For the reason you said, a lot of times people seem to undervalue themselves. Yes, I would say that. I would say that's true. I'd say for me, since I'm already charging like almost the most in my community of anybody I know, probably I shouldn't double mine, but most people should. And that, that's probably because you have an understanding of this already. Mm-hmm. And then the next part is this. As you as you already stated earlier, people will take you more seriously if if your prices are higher. Yeah, absolutely right. Absolutely right. When somebody is paying you a premium amount for lessons, they're not only going to take you seriously, they're going to take their lessons more seriously because they're paying for them. That's right. And, and as a result, what goes down is uh, last minute cancellations mm-hmm. because we all know everything else is more important than me yeah. lessons, right? <laughs> yep. Or just plain old no shows. That doesn't, that doesn't happen all that often. Usually, for, usually I find people will let me know. Right. And also, 
I like to personally, if if I can, if if I had anything to do with it, I would like for the student, if I'm dealing with a, a teenager or a child, if possible, I like for them to pay at least a portion of the fee because they evaluate differently. That That's case. true for a teen. I would say for a teenager, that is super important. I would, um, I'd say that teenagers is the area in my own studio where I probably have the, I probably have the biggest gap in my skills of knowing how to how to work with them to keep them in lessons that's the that's the that's the one kind of group of students that I really have a difficult time with um but I you're absolutely right but you know when they're when they're young and their parent is paying out all that money their parents can be like you get to the piano right <laughs> so that's the perfect point because when it hurts a little bit in the form of having to pay for it with your money then you take it a little more seriously. So you'll get, as a result, I found, and tell me if you agree, you'll you get a parent that cares a little bit more to make sure that their that their child is practicing because they want to get their money's worth. Yes, that's absolutely true. And I mean, I even have, I have one student who, he does hockey. And, you know, the, I don't know how it is where you are, but where I am, the community education, sports stuff, it's ridiculous that what they expect families to do in terms of scheduling. I mean, they don't tell them when practice is until practically a week before. They don't tell them when the games are. They might change it. They change on a dime and they expect you to show up and you can't play if you don't show up to practice and all of this stuff. Um, <laughs> and um, I have one family who the son plays hockey. And then when he has a, a sports season like that, he sometimes has to take like four or five weeks off of lessons and he's in a class. And so his class keeps going without him. And this family is just so committed. What they do uh, is they continue to pay me and I send them notes. And the, another really cool thing about Simply Music is that they have DVDs that reproduce a lot of the lesson content for the student at home. There's, um, there's videos that help them learn their lesson content as well. And so they work at home. And then when he gets back, he's caught up with his class. I've still been paid for that month, and he's still maintained his piano. Oh, that's great. You have high school students. And do you also have adult students? I, You know, I don't have very many high school students. Okay. I have mostly my students are between the ages of 5 and 12, I would say. I have a couple. I would say, okay, I have one high school student, and I have a couple middle school students. Let's talk about retention. What have, yeah. you, what have you found to work? to keep your students? The, one of the biggest things that you can do to help retain your students is to talk to them about what it's like to do something for a long time and that you're not always going to be excited about it and that you still have to do it even when you're not excited about it. And I have also found that if I can train my students when they're young, like when they're under age eight, to have a really, really strong practicing routine where they practice basically every day, then by the time they get to be 12, 13, they have built that neurology that they know how to do it. And so really the only students that I've actually managed to maintain through high school are the ones that started with me when they were young because we took that time and, and built the routine. And what I, what I tell them is, you know, how many days do you need to practice a week? Well, how many days do you need to eat? Ah, that's good. And I also I also have a really funny one that always gets everybody laughing. As I say, so so what if someday you say, eh, I don't want to practice, mom. And mom says, well, you still need to. And you say, yeah, but I really don't want to. And then I say to them, well, do you put on your underpants every day? And they all say, oh, yeah, I put on my underpants every day. And I say, well, 
do you ever not put on your underpants? I have one little girl, she's in dance. Yes, there was this one time where I didn't put on underpants for dance and it was so weird. I said, yeah, that's what I want it to be like when you don't practice. I want it to feel a little weird, like you didn't put on your underpants today. That's good. We also, we was, let, let me tell you one other thing I do in my studio and you can cut out whatever you want to cut, but I do uh, 32 day challenges in my studio. So what that means is that they the student practices 32 days in a row. Where this came from originally, this 32 days and why I use 32 days instead of a different number, was back in the old days of the space program, the astronauts, they had to go through all kinds of crazy things. You know, they put them in centrifuges and all kinds of wild things like sensory deprivation and sensory overload. One of the things they did to them was they made them wear Coke bottle glasses that flipped the image that they saw upside down. And I don't know if you know this, every image that you see, you actually see it upside down. It's reflected onto the back of your retina upside down, and your brain translates it so that it's right side up. The glasses that they had to wear flipped the images upside down, and they had to wear these glasses constantly. After about, on average, on average, after 32 days of wearing these glasses, the image flipped back right side up. And so that is roughly how long it takes your brain to build that kind of a pattern. And once you've built it, it's so easy to continue. So I have this 32-day challenge board in my studio where everybody puts their name, and every week when they come in, they check off their seven days if they played all seven days. And there's some other rules around it, like you can make up one day on the next day if you missed one, but you can't make up two days. And anyway, there's other rules. So when they finish that, then they get a prize that they and their parents have agreed on their prize. And I also put a little star up on my 32-day challenge wall of fame next to that student's name. And so I have this big wall of fame that's covered in stars. I have one kid that's doing a um, 500-day challenge, 500 days. I mean, she was, she was six the last time she didn't practice. I have another student who has probably done close to 40 32-day challenges. He's got several 100-day challenges and several 200-day challenges in there. There was one where it was only 198, and then he came down with Lyme's disease, and so I let him have that one. <laughs> so this is important because what you actually have tapped into is building habits, and that's everything in life. Right, and the students that can make it through those times when they don't feel excited about the instrument that they're learning and still practice anyway, even when they don't feel excited, those are the ones that are going to be able to have that lifelong relationship with music because they know that they're going to keep doing it even through the rough times. That's so right. That's very good. So thank you for that information. I'm going to change course a little bit right here. Sure. Now, earlier you mentioned something and you also wrote about it on your blog. And I want to talk about about taking a vacation without oh, necessarily yeah. <laughs> taking a hit in your pocketbook. Oh, yeah. How does that work out? It's actually really simple. So if you charge a flat rate, either monthly or quarterly or whatever, I'm just going to say monthly, but I'm just, just so you know, it could be any regular rate as long as it's uh, on a set period. Then if you take time off in that in that time period, you've already been paid for it. Here's how it works. You have to figure out how many weeks a year you want to take off. So for instance, there's 52 weeks in a year. Let's say you have three weeks off for performing and you want to have three weeks off for vacation. 
and maybe you want to have some holidays, so let's figure in another couple of weeks. So let's say three, six, seven, eight. That seems low. Let's make it 10. Let's say we take 10 weeks off, 42 lessons a year. I'm committing that I will teach you, Chris, 42 lessons a year, and you're going to pay me the same monthly rate, whether there's two lessons in a month or three lessons in a month or four lessons in a month or the occasional instance where there's five lessons in a month. You're going to pay the same rate to me every month of the year, and I'm not charging you for the lessons that you're not taking. If you're saying that you will teach 42 lessons a year and you spread out the payment for those 42 lessons a year evenly over 12 months, then when you take off your 10 weeks over the course of that time, you still have money coming in. You will still have money coming in even when you're taking time off. People will agree to, to pay for a month versus per lesson. That's what you're telling me. Oh, yeah. It's easier. It's, and if, if, that, if anybody's out there is not taking monthly payments in advance, I really, really recommend that you do that. Well, I understand that concept. That makes sense. But why would it stay the same month to month if I'm going to have five Mondays in February instead of in uh, and, and four and four Mondays in in March? Why right. And, and maybe and maybe March? two and maybe two in July, because I'm going to take two weeks off in July. Right. So why would why would anyone agree to pay the same if they're not meeting you as often? Yeah, because it evens out over the course of the year. It all evens out over the course of the year. Over the course of that 12 months, they will get their 42 lessons with you. And that actually encourages them to stay for the whole year because they want to get their money's worth. Oh, I see. I understand. See what I mean? I see. So when you first sit down with your student, you're, you're having a conversation about how long they want to study lessons. And you're, and you're getting a commitment in the beginning. Is that true? I get a two-month commitment, but I do talk about how you know, how I calculate my lesson fees based on the number of lessons I teach in a year. You And I basically say, you'll get the best money's worth out of me if you stay for at least a year. And that makes perfect sense. And honestly, any student is going to get the best money's worth out of me if they stay for a year just because they're learning for that long, right. not just because of of the money. And the other thing is, you know, families need time off too. I mean, I have a kid in piano lessons. It's kind of grueling. You know, families want time off, too. And honestly, it is just so much easier to say, OK, piano lessons cost one hundred and forty four dollars a month. There it is in my budget. I never have to think about it being different. I know exactly what to write the check for every month. It's easy. Or, you know, if you have an automatic credit card thing, it just comes off every month. I never have to think about it. And I know because my teacher explained it to me that I'm, I'm paying for the lessons that I'm getting, and I'm not paying for the lessons that I'm not getting, and it's just evened out so that it's easier on everybody's budget. I see. That makes sense. Perfect. So what are some good ways to collect payment? Do you have something set up on your website? Do you have a square reader? Do you exchange cash and check hand to hand? What have you found to work? I mostly use checks, and it's largely because I'm running a business right out of my home. Um, credit card companies, they just get you coming and going. Uh, it costs about, you have to figure about 3% of your lesson fee is going to the credit card companies if you're, if you're taking credit cards. Uh, Square is a little bit better, uh, and some, some other places are a little bit better than that, but sometimes 
the percentage rate is better, but then you have a monthly fee. Or if you have like merchant services through your bank, they charge you for the card reader, uh, even though they charge you a lower rate. So credit doing credit cards is kind of expensive. Um, and I only have about 30 students. And when I floated the idea with them of, of doing credit card th- at payments, I only had a couple that were really interested because I said, if I do this and I do credit card payments, I'm going to have to increase my rates by about $5 a month in order to cover the cost of this. And they decided they would rather pay me with checks. And hey, that is cool with me because it's just about as much bookkeeping work for me to process credit card transactions as it is to process checks. Um, Let's say I'm fresh out of college Mm -hmm. and I want to teach. I want to have my own studio. But nobody knows I'm available. How can I change that? What What are some things I can do to change that? Big one is putting up a website, but that's not enough. I would say a really big thing is just getting out and talking to people in your community. Talking to people, talking to people, talking to people. And uh, talk to your friends, talk to your family, tell them you're teach, starting a studio, tell them what you're teaching, tell them about your philosophy of teaching. I actually have gone um, on the first day of school and sat across the street from the school with a big sign that says, ask me about piano lessons for your kids. Ah, very creative. <laughs> I had about five people come and give me their information. I mean, I thought that was worth it. Get five contacts. Did you just do that one time? Yeah. Yeah, that's very that's a very high turnover rate. You know, I think only I think only one or two of them actually converted. But part of it, you know, one of the things that I've learned after doing this for five years is that when you're when you're marketing and when you're recruiting and you're trying to put yourself out there for students, it's a big decision to start taking piano lessons. It's a big commitment for everybody. And 99% of the time, if a family likes you, but they're not ready to commit to lessons, it's purely about timing. And if you can be friendly and nice and just give them that space to not be ready yet, they'll come back when they're ready. I just had a woman call me who I hadn't heard from in a year. And she said, oh, yeah, you talked to me about a year ago and we're finally ready. That's good. That always works out. Mm-hmm. And... Um, trying to think just starting out you know getting business cards always have business cards in your pocket always just hand them to everybody you know i mean when you talk to somebody at the next gig you have they might have a kid that's dying to learn guitar and you hand them your card and say oh yeah i teach guitar you should give me a call i gotta tell you i want to add to this uh, something that i found to work for me is simply performing and if you have a relationship with your local band directors that would be a good place to start because they all they sometimes they need help. They need someone to perform with their band or to teach a certain section in their band. And that might be your expertise. And when the students hear you play, then they'll be interested because they'll see that you're more advanced than they are. And they, they tend to take a liking to that. Also, just this week, I performed a concert with a local high school and afterward, I had about five or six parents come to me just to express that they enjoyed my playing. And about three of them asked me to help their students, as in teach their students. So that's a, that's some business right there. So I'm going to let you go right now. We've been on here for almost longer than I told you we'd be. You've been great. I appreciate you so much. 
Yeah, thank you, Chris. I really appreciate your time, and I'm excited to be a part of your part of your empire building here. This is great. Oh yeah. Now there's the, before I let you go, there's one more thing that I want to make sure that people understand is available to them. And you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but you have a course that helps people uh, with their private lessons. Will you tell us about it? Yeah, my class is called The Happy Studio. It's an online self-paced class. So it's basically video tutorials and it's all about helping you have a happy studio where you're happy, where you're financially comfortable, where you don't get burned out, where you take care of yourself and where your students are happy. Um, We talk about getting into the right mindset, what you should charge and how to figure out what to charge talk about setting up your studio and how you can set up your policies so that the rhythm of your studio supports you being happy and healthy and your students being happy and healthy. Uh, I go into great detail on what it takes to run the business end of a business. It's the part that we all sort of feel like is the scorpion in our shoe. And um, I also go into recruitment and marketing a little bit, though I'll give you a, a little preview here. Retention is the best marketing that there is. And this class is currently under development. I'm working on it right now. I anticipate it launching this spring. But if you go to my website, myobmusicteacher.com, and you join my mailing list, you will be the first to know when it launches. And you can go to behindthenote.com, and we'll link right to it for you so, you, so it'll be easy for you to find. Thank you so much, Shanta, for joining us today. We appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. It's just been a pleasure to talk to you, Chris. just want to do a quick recap. We talked about the importance of time, and sometimes you're going to have students that are going to say no, but that doesn't mean no indefinitely. It just means not right now. The timing isn't right. So go ahead and check back in at a later time. Tell them what you've been up to. Tell them how, how the growth is coming with your other students. They might need a little encouragement to to join you. Also, we talked about how to have a payment structure set up so that you get paid when you're on vacation. Sit down with your students or maybe your parents' students. Talk about a plan that you have for them. Up front, you want them to pay you ahead for the month or two or three months, whatever structure you set up. Also, we talked about the points of the number 32 when it comes to building habits, and that was a a nice story about the space program. I actually think I heard that years ago, but I have forgot about that. And that's a really good lesson in diligence because in the beginning, things are challenging, but then your vision changes. You see things differently. Your perspective changes and you see things not upside down, but you see them as they are right side up. All right. Thanks again for pressing play. Go to behindthenote.com slash gift for your gift. You still haven't picked it up? Some of you still haven't picked it up. It's right there for you. Until next episode, God bless you.